everybody. Welcome to Take Off with John Clark. And please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to them. And let's bring in a special guest. Always good to check in with the mag- former long snapper, now magician, John Dornboss. How are you, John? Yeah, baby. Thanks for having me. Totally rock star. It's good to be here, man. Look at you. You got your own set. You got your own thing. I mean, this is big time. Hey, you know what? This is what happens when you got too much time at your house. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, John, we're going to get into it because you're coming back to Philly. You're going to perform your Life is Magic show at Live Casino this coming weekend. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Uh, I first want to just ask you about a very serious subject that came up this week where Lane Johnson spoke for the first time mm-hmm. about battling anxiety disorder and depression And he's very public about it now because he wants to help people. And he estimated to me, he said he thinks maybe 30 to 40, possibly 50% of players in the NFL have some sort of issue with mental health. Can you explain how that made you feel to see Lane come out and publicly discuss what he's been going through? Because it's been tough. Well, well, cheers for him. I think uh, uh, being open and being vulnerable is a great thing. and, And you end up helping so many more people. I think, really the, the first step is just to realize that you don't have to be embarrassed about what it is you're going through and realizing that everybody is going through something. So uh, he's probably going to help a ton of people. I, I hope he gets the help he needs and, and finds out, you know, does, does 40, 50% of a locker room have issues? Um, I think a hundred percent of the world does, you know what I mean? I'm not saying it's mental health, but we're all struggling, right? We're all struggling internally. We're all trying to find ways to make it. We all have anxiety at times. We all have depression at times. We all have, we experience every emotion you could possibly imagine. It's, fighting through it and, and getting back to happiness and, and getting back to kind of in our zone. So, um, yeah, I witnessed a lot, man. How about Lane personally? You played with him. Um, you were there with him, a former teammate. Did you know he was struggling with any of this? No, I, I look, I like Lane. Every interaction I've ever had with him as a teammate and a friend, I've, I, I love the guy. So um, it's definitely not something that, that I saw. How about Lane and Brandon Brooks, the friendship they have? I remember them telling me, and Lane reiterated the story, that he and Brandon, every game day, would throw up around 5.30 a.m. from all of the anxiety. And, you know, they didn't want to let a pass rusher get to their quarterback. So there is a a lot of things that they're dealing with anxiety-wise. But on top of it, they really had a disorder. Uh, Did you experience any of that with any of your teammates or yourself? Uh, uh, no, I actually didn't really throw up. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I played with a guy named London Fletcher, who might be the, one of the greatest linebackers to ever play, played 16 years at middle backer. I don't think he ever missed a game. Uh, and he threw up before every game. So look, there's probably all different levels of anxiety, but to say that athletes, uh, on, in the NFL have anxiety before a game is yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of stress. It's a, there's a lot going through your head. So, uh, I, I that stuff's common. John, you had a very traumatic childhood, uh, losing your mother and then losing a father. Um, I don't think any of us can say they would have any idea of how to get through that. You got through that. Did you have any mental health issues or any of those things during your playing career? Um, 
You know, that, that that's a good question. I, like I said before, I, I think you spend your entire life learning how to talk to yourself and realizing, I think for me at a young age, I realized that you can have emotion and sometimes your emotions, you, you can't really control that, right? There's a lot of hormone things going on. There's a lot of things going on that, that you don't have control over, but you can control the words you tell yourself and you can control how you treat people. You can control what you say uh, and you can choose happiness. Happiness is not an emotion. So um, I've really spent my entire life learning how to quiet the voice uh, that's saying quit, quiet the voice of depression, quiet the voice that says you're not good enough and talking to myself and, and talking my future out and talking where I want to go, what I want to do, where I see myself uh, in tomorrow, in one year, five years, 10 years. And so I truly believe in that. Don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. Have you seen a big change in the NFL and maybe all of pro sports where guys can be more open now about mental health? I mean, when you first came into the league, was this discussed at all? No, and but but let's. I mean, you can open that up to a much broader conversation, right? I mean, sexuality, mental health, all types of things, right? The world is a completely different place than it was uh, two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, and and my rookie year was 03, which is crazy to think almost twenty years ago. So, um, definitely, the state of the world has opened up that and allowed that conversation to happen, and so uh, I, I think it's a good thing. Now, when when you were long snapping for the Eagles for twelve years. How much of that is mental? How much of it is physical? Well, if you ask my teammates, uh, zero physical, because they would say that I'm probably the least athletic dude they've ever seen in their entire life. Uh, look, it's, 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 uh, it's a lot of mental right here, and here's why. Uh, if, if I'm a quarterback and I go and I, I, I throw a bad pass, right, I've got 20 seconds before I can come out and redeem myself and everything's forgotten. When you're a specialist, here's what happens, right? You go out and you play one play, and then you go sit for about seven, eight, nine minutes, which means – you have all that time to think about what you did really good or really bad. So you have to learn to wash the good, wash the bad, and take every rep for its own. And practice is just that. We're in search of the perfect rep, right? Which is what I got obsessed about snapping, doing something over and over and over. So look, it's, 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 it's funny because it's 100% mental, but it's 100% physical. So if you can be 100% in two different aspects of your life, that's what it takes to play in the NFL. So what was it like when you're on the sideline? Because we'd be up in the press box. And I see you on the sidelines and you're getting ready for that one moment. Sometimes a, a game winning kick in a playoff game, David Akers or somebody like that, uh, or a punt that's key in a game, you're building up to a moment. What is that like mentally? You're going to laugh because I, and this is, this is a hundred percent true. Uh, I grew up with like the born identity board supremacy, Jason Bourne, right? So in my head, I'm not making this up in my head. I was Matt Damon. We're shooting a movie everybody's union. We all want to go home. It's cold. So just go out there, nail it the first time and get off. Right. So that was my mentality. So like I would write my, my life out like a movie. And in this movie, I'm acting as the greatest long snapper ever. And then just go do that. <laughs> that's, that was my approach. Well, that's pretty amazing because a lot of movies, they get more than one take. You only get one take. That's it. That, that's all we had. Right. Cause everybody was union and, and the, the stadium was going to close. The lights were going to turn off. We had one shot to get this, go get it. That was the mentality. Do or die. Johnny one shot. That's what I called myself in my own head. <laughs> do you think, do you think long snappers, kickers, punters, you guys on special teams, um, do you think you're respected enough? Because you look at some of these NFL games, a lot of them are decided by a field goal, a missed field goal. And it, God forbid, a long snapper uh, messes up a long snap. Man, that's the only time sometimes they know the long snappers' names on some of these teams. Yeah, that'd be a bad day. At first, I thought you were going to say 
do you agree that the long snapper and kicker are the greatest athletes in all professional sports? That's what I thought you were going to come at me with. <laughs> you kind of took a little turn there. Um, look, I'm I, not a magician. What? Yeah, right. Yeah, but apparently, me either. I'm not that good. Uh, dude, I, I'm going to say this, that uh, your teammates respect you uh, for how you show up every single day, how you prepare, are you on time, and do you get the job done? And so, you know, one of the things I'm really proud of is, and I never thought I would ever break a franchise record, but I got to play in 162 straight games. And if you ask my teammates, guys like Selleck, who, who probably paid me one of the best compliments ever, and he's basically like, yo, man, if we knew Dornboss was going out there, guy's got ice in his veins, he don't choke under pressure, he's going to get it done. So as a snapper, as a kicker, as a specialist, that's what we strive for, to get the respect of the locker room that no matter what, whatever situation you throw us in, we're going to get us out. We're going to go out there. We got one shot to do it. We're going to do it. And then we're going to go sit back down. And when you call us, we're going to go out and we're going to do it. Could you ever tell by looking in the eyes of a certain kicker that you had either in the regular season or preseason or maybe in tryouts or whatever, could you tell whether they mentally had it to be an NFL kicker with a game on the line? Wow. Great question. I've never been asked that question. Um, I think you can look at people and, and, and know, but I think, Oh man, um, I'm trying to think of all the kickers I had. And, and it's funny cause I, I, I won't mention names, but the ones that you probably didn't think never played, you know, so they usually get exposed pretty quick. Wow. Um, and, and it was pretty special. You were out in Vegas when the Eagles were out there. The Eagles game didn't go as well as your magic show out in Vegas. How special was that when you came out there? And I think you were in front of 300 to 350 Eagles fans for a magic show. What's that like when you come in contact once again with Philadelphia and Eagles fans? You know, it's that moment that I wish my wife was with me so I could say, see, babe, I still got it. You know, uh, dude, it was a lot of fun, man. You know, Philly Sports Trip booked me and, and they basically did a private show for all these Eagles fans at the Luxor. It was amazing. Uh, but I think sometimes, look, I live in Southern California and so I'm kind of removed. Uh, and it's cool when fans come up and say, oh, my gosh, you know, it was my son and you signed an autograph. You put my you took my son on the field. You did this. We took pictures here. You brought us on the 50 yard line. And when you hear all the interactions that I've had with the fans over the years, uh, it's it was really cool to kind of reconnect like that. That's really one thing that you did all the time. I remember talking to some of the guys and, and women in PR, and they said you would come to them and say, whatever event you need help with to get out into the community, you did them all. And then even during the game sometimes or when you were working on your craft on the sidelines pregame, during the game, you would communicate with fans. How important was that to you and how much bond did you feel with the people of Philadelphia? Well, so th this goes back to when I was 12 years old and you had touched on it earlier when I lost both my parents, um, you know, the community would donate tickets and, and they would take me to the Seattle Mariners game because I lived in Seattle. I was a huge Ken Griffey Jr. fan and I'd, go, I'd be in the nosebleeds and I would look down and, and in my mind, Griffey or Buner or Edgar Martinez, they were going to look up in section 302 and be like, Dornbosch, you made it. Come on down here and warm us up. And so now all of a sudden time passes, right? And, and I become a pro athlete. Uh, between you and I, I didn't need pregame. If I didn't warm up, I was fine. You know what I needed? I needed about five minutes in every game I played. I pulled a kid from the crowd, brought him on the field, and I played catch with my 12-year-old self. That to me, you know, and, and just recently I got asked, John, do you miss the game? What do you miss most? I miss that. I miss pregame. I miss playing catch with my 12-year-old self and reflecting on the decisions that we make, the deflecting or reflecting on um, the things that I had accomplished, the relationships that I had, my whole experience, the sacrifice, the, the trials and tribulations, right? So uh, the interactions with the fans was by far my favorite part of, of being in the NFL. And, and I say this a lot, sharing it with those that didn't get to live it was something really cool. And I always remember people saying, boy, 
John Dornbos is a long snapper, and we know him as well or better than some of the players that are on the field a lot more than he is. Uh, so I don't know if you saw it recently. Jason Kelsey, uh, he actually was on TMZ and a lot of national publications and national sites for what he said about Philadelphia, because you've heard some things. Carson Wentz, for whatever reason, he wanted out of Philly. Maybe it was more because of the Eagles. Ben Simmons wanted out of Philly. Don't know if it was more the city or the Sixers. And Jason Kelsey talked about what the city meant to him. A lot of people say it's really, really, really tough to play in Philadelphia. What do you say about that and what it's like to play in Philadelphia? Uh, okay. you're gonna. I, I got two answers, but it's also based on two completely different personalities. If you're, and I'm not accusing anybody of being this, but from my observation, if you're a selfish individual who it's never your fault and you point fingers and always make excuses, it's going to be the hardest city you've ever played in. If you're somebody that knows when and where, knows how to get the job done, shows up and, and can say, when, when, when I messed up, can say, hey, you know what? I was a bit early on that. The holder was off guard. We missed the kick because of me. That's never happening again. Then the city embraced you and you rock on. So for a guy like Jason Kelsey to say, yeah, it's a hard city to play in, but we got this. But Jason's also one of the most accountable people we ever meet. Jason's also somebody that shows up every day on time, prepared and ready to work. He plays hurt, sick, injured. He does whatever he can to put himself in a position in the team to be successful. He's the ultimate teammate. He's a guy you want on your team. So for him to say that makes sense, right? Because he knows that he got it. So that, that's my answer. Um, if you're accountable and you can be man enough to stand up or, or woman enough to stand up and say, hey, I made a mistake, I'm going to fix it, then the city's going to love you. If you can't do that, it's going to be a tough city to play in. And Jason Kelsey's pretty good at speeches, isn't he? <laughs> Philly, Philly, no one likes us. We don't care. Are you kidding me? I love that song. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, so, so you're coming back to Philly with your Life is Magic show. And when you come back here and do your magic show in Philly, where you played in the NFL for 12 years – do you pinch yourself? Because a lot of guys, when they leave professional football, it's a hard thing, and they're searching for that second life. Yeah, they're, they're searching for identity, right? I think identity crisis is a major, major thing. Uh, me, I had magic before I had football, and so the NFL just kind of helped launch that career. So to come back to Philly, to come back almost in the exact same parking lot as the football stadium, uh, the hometown crowd, it's, it's rock star, right? It's totally cool, and if you've seen the show before, uh, we got new stories and we got some new tricks. So come on out. It's at Live Casino, November 6th, 7 p.m. Um, and it is awesome. Philly, you've been good to me for a long time. So I'm going to keep coming back and, and, and share my appreciation with you as much as I possibly can. Some insurance companies, they use jingles and mascots, but not NJM. When you're up front with your customers, you don't need gimmicks. NJM, no jingles or mascots, just great insurance. Get a quote today at NJM.com. So what is harder mentally and in front of a crowd? Long snapping. I know you have a helmet on, so that's a little bit of protection uh, mm -hmm. from whatever mental part of it. Or a magic show where you are the entire show. Gosh, let me think about this. Yeah, hands down football. Way harder. Here's why. If I mess up a trick or a card trick or whatever, and then we just push on to the next one, nobody knows. Nobody lost millions. Nobody's betting. Nobody's, you know, all of a sudden... You, uh, let me tell you, let me tell you what you don't want to be. Uh, you don't want to be the guy that screws up a game or affects a spread in a negative way. Now that gambling sports betting and all this is so big, there's just so many people involved. Uh, so I will say that playing in the NFL is much harder, much more pressure, uh, because if I miss your card, nobody cares. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, if, if you were to mess up or, or something like that for a team going to the playoffs or uh, it's a whole city. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've alienated yourself, not just in your city, but all those fans around the world. So uh, luckily I played a long time. Luckily I never fell on that side of the sword and it, it's all good. So I, I don't even want to think about what that would be like. Cause that sounds miserable. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. So I think it's the coolest thing, the story about you getting traded to New Orleans, and then you're not necessarily on a Super Bowl team here in Philadelphia that year, but Jeffrey Lurie, because of the length of time, 12 years, most consecutive games played as an Eagle, he gives you a Super Bowl ring. First of all, where do you keep that ring? Uh, it's upstairs in my office. I got a, I got a little case for it that I keep it in there. And kind of the story that's that's not really told, right? So in, in, it was like 2007, 2008 or something like that. Uh, I went to training camp with shingles all over my face. So I had to be out of the sun. And so if I wasn't snapping, I'd be in the locker room. Well, it kind of the shingles kind of left me and I was good. But I was like, I'm going to keep this schedule. And just when I'm not snapping, I'm just going to go hang out in the equipment room because it's air conditioned. And you know, in Allentown or St. John, where, uh, uh, wherever uh, college oh, we yeah, were at. Bethlehem. Yeah. Lehigh, Lehigh. It was yeah, yeah, Lehigh and Bethlehem. So I remember I was in the equipment room, didn't really have a, a, a close relationship with Jeff yet at the time. And Lurie comes walking in and I'm in the equipment room, just chilling during practice in the air conditioner. Right. And I was like, Oh, oh, Hey, Mr. Lurie, I'm just looking for a clip for my pads. You know, it fell off. He's like, no, I just come in here cause it's air conditioned. And I'm like, no kidding. Me too. So we talked and here's, what's really cool. Uh, in the gist of the conversation, look, I wasn't going to, I told Jeff, I don't really want to ever coach, you know, so we got to get a ring. Cause I, if I don't get one as a player, I'll never get one. And so sure enough, when he gave me the ring, uh, it was like, Hey man, I remember our conversation to where, you know, look, you didn't coach and you didn't play, but somehow you still got a ring. So keep being you um, keep making this world a better place. You showed up every day. And uh, I, I hope that you can continue your life. And when you look at this ring, just remember that all the hard work you put in this game is worth it and the relationships. And so that ring has a much different meaning for me had I played. Uh, in fact, I'm almost more proud of it not playing and, and having it and, and kind of what it meant for Jeff and I and, and the Eagles organization. What, what were your emotions when you got that call from him and he told you that? Uh, you know, it was one of those things where I'm like, well, um, first of all, the Eagles went to the Super Bowl. Was it 5-6, 5 Yeah, 5 Okay. And then John Dornbos comes shortly after and plays in every single game for well over a decade. Hurt, sick, injured, hernias, all, all this stuff, right? Played in every game. Then the Eagles trade Dornbos. And then they went back to the Super Bowl. So I was like, perfect timing. You know, of course you're going to the Super Bowl this year, Jeff. Of course you are, because we couldn't do it in the last 11 and a half years. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? When, when, he, when I got the call, I thought it was really cool. Um, I got a call at the beginning of the year. And, uh, you know, Coach Peterson and them said that they had talked about it and and, you know, look, I was on 21 pills recovering from an open heart surgery. And I was like, yeah, 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 sure. You're going to the Super Bowl. First game I watched all season was the NFC championship. That was the first game I watched all season because I was starting to get off the metropolis on the meds and my, you know, your focus comes back and they won. And I looked at my wife going, are you kidding me right now? Or is this serious? Did this just happened. I was there 11 and a half years. Now they're going to go. And then the phone rang and uh, first class, man, it was super cool to be a part of it. 
uh, it was even more cool that they invited me to go to the parade, which, you know, I, I didn't play. Right. So I, that was the closest thing I was ever going to come. And so you, you bet your butt, I jumped on that thing and, and got to experience a Super Bowl parade on the bus. And uh, a cool little story. I, I got on, the, I was getting on the bus with Donnie Jones and I got stopped by the media relations. And they're like, Hey, John, this is the player bus. You got to go to the alumni bus. And it was kind of like a, Oh gosh, geez. Okay. Yeah, fine. And then she looked at me and goes, but it's going to be you and Brian Dawkins on that bus. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go on that bus. That's okay. I'll, I'll take that bus. <laughs> yeah. With B doc, I think you're, I think you're good yeah. to go. That's pretty just, cool. Just Brian and I. Yeah. Yeah. That's fitting, fitting. That, that's probably where we should probably, you know, that's great. No, no crowd surfing. Uh, like, like Jason Kelsey, you didn't hop oh, off the bus crowd surf. I, you know what? I didn't crowd surf. I got off the bus, but I was still a little, you know, I was still a little, I was still a little banged up, man. I still didn't have, really have a voice and still kind of weak. So I just, I just sipped on a beer and rode the bus. It's a beautiful thing. Do, do you watch the Eagles a lot these days or not? Uh, I watch friends. Um, I have a two and a half year old now. And so everything changes when you got a two and a half year old. Um, so I, 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 like I said, I got to see Detroit or I, I got to see Vegas. Um, I haven't watched as much as I would like, but I've watched a little. And, and this second career of being a magician, um, how fulfilling is it when you compare it to what you did in the NFL for 14 years? Uh, you know, there's an organization called Pace, and they raise money and they disperse it in communities. And I was sitting next to this gentleman, uh, an older gentleman, and he was like, you know, I just had dinner with this NFL guy. And he goes, it was so sad. He said he could never replicate the high that he got from the NFL. And I just remember this guy looking at me going, how unfair is that to him and his family and his kids and just the rest of his life that he could never get that same high that he got from playing in the NFL. And so I, I never forgot that. And that was like 20 years ago. I never forgot that. And so what, what life's about is about having great experiences and, and kind of enjoying them for what they are. But when then they're done having closure and try and replicate that same experience or that same high or that same adrenaline rush, right. And all the things you do. Because what I've learned that in life, those things are everywhere. We just got to go find them. And so for me, being, a, being able to be on the stage, you know, I'm lucky that there's a crowd involved. Great. But ultimately, my mind is happy, right? And I'm, and I'm achieving that adrenaline rush because my mind is occupied. I don't have an identity crisis. I'm not depressed. I'm not bored. I'm involved. And I'm able, I'm able to go do really cool things. I'm able to have my team. I got eight guys in my crew uh, from lighting to sound to stagehands. And, and I get to build my own little team and bring in everything I learned from coaches like Coach Reed and all these things that made me a better person and kind of throw it onto them. So um, that's a very general question because anytime you can transition and find joy in life, then that's, man, that's a beautiful thing, man. You learned a little bit of the leadership and coaching from Andy Reid that you incorporate into your team with the Magic Show? No question, man. I, I'll tell you right now, uh, still talk to Coach Reed. Uh, there's times I just FaceTime him and I'll just show him my daughter eating or making a mess and then just hang up, you know? I love that guy. I'll run through a brick wall for that guy. Um, what he taught me about just accountability, being on time, process, uh, understanding opponent, understanding your job, knowing the ins and outs. If this goes wrong, what do we do? If that goes wrong, what do we do? Uh, how he treated his players behind closed doors. I think one one thing I really valued about Coach Reed is he was somebody that got to that that took the time to get to know every individual, and he knew how to communicate to you to get to you. And that might be different than him and him and her and him and him. And so it allowed it, it kind of showed me that if I ever have a team and I'm in charge of a bunch of people, get to know each individual person and get to know how to communicate with that individual person to bring out the best in what they can do. So when Andy Reid, after all those tries, finally won the Super Bowl, what were your, what were your feelings and emotions about that? Man, I cried, man. 
I was so happy for him, texted him and said, Hey man, called him and just, uh, you know, he, he's a guy that deserves it. And I, I'm, my guess is this, you ask every player that ever played for that, that man right there, they're going to tell you the same thing. Everybody was so happy for him. How about uh, the new head coach, Nick Sirianni? Of course, Doug Peterson won the Super Bowl. Uh, and now they have Nick Sirianni. Do you hear anything from former players, former teammates, or anything about Nick? He is obviously trying to, number one, build a connection with all the players, coaches, and players as well. Well, uh, the, to answer your question, no, I, I haven't heard anything. But two, just an observation, and now that I'm out of the game, I, I think it's even exemplified even more. Exemplified? Examinified? Examinified. That's not even a word, but it's a word here today. Baby. <laughs> that's a Charlie Manuel uh, word. I like yeah, that. Yeah, Good let's just roll that one. <laughs> you know what? There was a time where like quarterbacks had years to like develop, right? Aaron Rodgers, all these great quarterbacks, right? I got to play with, with Bledsoe, with Steve McNair, Donovan, you know, guys that, that didn't have to come in right away and play and, and have success. And then I don't know if it was like the Mark Sanchez era or the Sam Bradford era, but like shortly after that, it was like, no, no, no. First round pick, a lot of money. He plays right away. The idea of just short-term change and you have to win now or never, it's so drastic in the NFL. So to bring a new coach in, new players, new staffing, new everything, right? And just demand winning, one, you should demand it, but two, uh, I, I, I hope I'm making sense here, the expectation, right? It's super hard. And so for him to go in and fill those shoes in, in, in what Doug Peterson did, for Jalen Hurts, a young quarterback who, let's be honest, didn't really have a lot of time. He didn't have three, four years to just sit back and, and learn schemes and and, de- and just learn, right? It's just, no, you're in now, you're playing now, get it done. I just think it's super hard, man. So we'll see where this goes, um, but it, that that's my opinion. Well, it's interesting you say that because I remember when Andy Reid and, and the Eagles drafted Donovan, I think I remember Andy Reid saying, this is a five-year plan with Donovan for him to fully grasp the West Coast offense and playing quarterback in the NFL. Remember that? Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, there is no doubt that besides long snapper, the most athletic, hardest position on the field is quarterback. Um, no, I'm just kidding there. But the, <laughs> the, hardest, the hardest position of professional sports to me is a quarterback. I mean, you got to – there's so much going on. And then, oh, by the way, you got somebody that's trying to, like, knock your head off. Hello. So, yeah, to have five years to just sit back and learn, one, your own offense, two, your players, three, timing, four, speed, and then five, all the different blitzes and things that a D coordinator in the NFL come up with to target you – takes time so yeah a five-year plan awesome if, if teams could allow that I mean I, I think it would be the most amazing most beneficial thing for that individual player to become the best player they could be the thing I always wondered about John and I, I have a couple other quick questions and then we'll finish but the, the thing I always wondered about I remember watching this NFL films with John Gruden and Chris Sims where it would be like eight or nine different words of the verbiage calling a play so coach calls it into the quarterback then the quarterback then has to throw out those eight or nine words together, a very specific play out of 200 plays. To me, it's, it's a little too much in my opinion. It's a lot. I'll tell you that. I mean, I, I would look at a call sheet and be like, this is like a whole different language, like Z21, Z fly right, foam left, uh, spray one, ISO up the middle, banana peach on four. You're like, what the, dude, what, what, what the heck just happened, right? You, you know what my call was? Ready, set, perfect. I got that. Look, that, that was pretty much it. <laughs> Uh, here, here was my other one. This is all I had to learn. When Donnie Jones did this, snap the ball to him. Coach, I got that one. Uh, you know, it might be hard <laughs> to screw that up, you know. Dude, let me tell you the offenses. And how about this? So that's just, okay, here, here's one for you. That's the call, right? So there's your package. Now you have a whole other world of audibles. So what happens if we call this? And what happens if this guy moves? Oh, well, then it's this. What happens if that guy moves? Well, then check to this. Well, what if this guy moves? Check to this. So it's like, it's like that tree that you call a play. 
but then here's everything that can happen before you even get to the center. It, it's insane, man. It really is a lot. And then uh, each receiver, each each oh. skill player has like, okay, is the cornerback leaning towards you? Where's the leverage? Everything. I mean, it's 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 amazing. Uh, before we finish up, I wanted to ask you because uh, you were on NBC's America's Got Talent, uh, and I know before the pandemic you had some things brewing, something with Varsity Blues. Yeah, uh, man. What happened uh, with that? I was John Voigt's predecessor in the Varsity Blues. I was the head coach of the West Canaan High. Uh, from what I've been told, uh, they're putting the genie back in the bottle. So they, it, it was going to be a, a show and a series. Uh, and now uh, rumor is hopefully it might be a movie. We'll see, uh, which would be amazing. That would be that would be awesome. Uh, and then uh, Mike Tolan uh, picked up who, who did the last dance about the Chicago Bulls and Jordan. He picked up the, the, the book Life is Magic that I wrote. Uh, he optioned it off to do a movie. And John Gatins, who got the uh, Academy nomination for writing the movie Flight with Denzel, is writing the script. And that should all be done here shortly. So I'm super excited. It's one of those things in life that uh, you don't really you're like, wow, this is this is happening. So uh, things are in the mix. And Tolan is a local guy right from Philadelphia area. Oh yeah. Local Philadelphian loves, loves the Phillies, loves the Eagles, loves Philly sports. Uh, great dude. He did coach Carter. He did, uh, he did radio. He did a bunch of other stuff, right? I mean, this guy's done countless 30 for thirties documentaries. Uh, I've been a fan of his for a long time. And uh, a buddy of mine did the movie radio with Ed Harris and Cuba and, and yeah. Mike Tolan. And when I met him then, I was like, if anybody ever does a movie on me, I want it to be Mike and uh, had offers over the years and just kind of just said, nah, it's all good. Wrong time. And then Mike approached me and I was like, this is unbelievable. I'm in. Wow. So, so, I mean, when you, when you watch the last dance and then you say this man who, who put together the last dance, which was epic, he's going to be telling the story of my life. I mean, how special is that? It's, it's crazy. Cause the last dance was unbelievable. That to me, that was one of the most great documentaries. Well, one, they had the footage, which makes a big difference. So Mike's a storyteller and he's a huge sports fan and he's a Philly guy. So there, there you go right there. So uh, it's kind of somebody in your corner. And I think the important thing is that this isn't a sports movie. It, you know, sports are a part of it. Um, so we'll see kind of what direction they go with the script. And I told him, I don't believe it or not, I didn't want anything to do with the script or anything. I don't want to I don't want to have any say on content. I know that sounds crazy. I want you guys to write a movie based on what people say about me based on go, go find it out. Because let's be honest, if we make a movie about ourselves, we can we, we can be the greatest individual ever. Right? In my movie, I can fly. You know what I mean? But um, I, I was like, no, I don't want just you guys go and find out what you need to find out. And what do people think about me in the community? What is, how did I treat people and, and how did I live my life? And whatever you think that is, then that's what the movie is. All right. So the story of your life, the movie, who do you want to play you? Oh, well, clearly Brad Pitt and George Clooney are a little too old. Yeah. You, you know who I'm going for? I I'm from, from day one, I, I I'm going for Chris Pratt. He doesn't know it yet, but I think Chris Pratt would kill it. Uh, I, believe it or not, I like John Krasinski came out with a quiet place, had the beard. Him and I became friends a long time ago. I think he'd rock it, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go Chris Pratt. Number one. I, I love it. I, I was thinking a little Chris Evans, uh, but, but, well, sorry, sorry. Did you say Captain America? <laughs> uh, if Captain America wants to play this guy right here, I'm pretty sure we can, we can figure that out. I, I tell you what, you, you might have to choose between five or six people that are coming after this. So, so let me, let me get this right. When do you think we could expect to actually see this? I'm excited to see this. Um, well, I'm learning that things take time, right? The writing process is super important. So hopefully here within the next 30 days, we'll have a, the first version of the script and we'll see where that is. And then, I mean, uh, there, I can't announce it quite yet, but I had a conference call with a, a big powerhouse studio that wants to get behind it. So if, if you got a great script and you got the money, 
I, I think that really helps push things along. And then what is it like a year? Go scout locations, film it, edit it, get it out. So we'll see. And then Chris Pratt as John Dornboss. Boom. It's magic. It's magic. <laughs> John, it was great catching up with you and look forward to you coming back to Philly. Uh, life is magic at Live Casino. One final question. When you come back to Philly and you're performing your magic show because of how hardcore Philly is, is there a little extra pressure on you to not mess up a step of a magic trick because you know all those Eagles fans are watching it? Man, I've been in front of these fans for 12 years, so I'm going to tell you this right now. Philly, it's very simple. Stay ready so you never got to get ready. Love it. John Dornbos, uh, glad to have you back in Philly this coming weekend, and uh, it's going to be good to see you again. Rock on, man. You the man. Thank you. <laughs>